my limited experience of the industry so far, I'd say I would say anyone can do it. I mean, you sort of just need to have the desire to do it, really. I mean, there's always going to be banging your head against the wall moments. And I guess it's just whether or not you want to persevere with that. MongoDB Live is the data conference of 2021, featuring cutting-edge technologies, keynotes from thought leaders, crash courses to build your skills, and more. Sign up today to get a head start on the future of data. To register, visit trymongodb.com live21. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And today I am joined by Annabelle Bly, a former journalist like myself, now a software engineer at Contact. Hi, Annabelle. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Before you got into software, you were working as a journalist. How many years did you do that for? And, and what made you decide to leave besides the obvious reasons that why would anybody <laughs> want to be a journalist, honestly? So I was a journalist for about eight years, I think. I stumbled into it, I guess. I did an internship at a magazine called Monocle after university. Yes. One of the last remaining sort of glossy, thick paper, read it in first class on the airplane magazines. That's Beautiful it. Magazine. Yeah. And then yeah. they just kept me on. So I was like, oh, cool. Someone's going to pay me to read the news all day and write stuff and talk right. to interesting people. What did you like to cover? What was like your favorite beat or topic? Uh, so I worked mostly on their radio output, which is kind of less well known, but essentially it was a podcast and uh, they had a lot of daily news shows. So I was working on gotcha. kind of current affairs, but also got to do a mix of design, arts and culture, business. Uh, so it was pretty varied. Okay. So you're, you're happily going along as a journalist, just like I did. You get to read the news all day. You get to look at Twitter and say you're working. You get to talk to new and interesting people about different topics. What made you decide um, to leave that behind for the wonderful world of banging your head against the wall, um, <laughs> writing code and uh, talking to other engineers? I guess, like, ultimately, I hit a ceiling with journalism. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you found this yourself, but, you know, it's an industry that is not exactly expanding far from it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, journalists are getting laid off all the time. And newsrooms are getting smaller and smaller. So yeah, no, I I, I did. I hit the same thing. I mean, it, you could you could luck into uh, you know an, a position. I think as like a TV personality, or you could be you could start be one of the first to start a Substack. But except for the lucky few who sort of find that that off ramp, that sort of like a uh, yeah channel to go down. Yeah, it's a tough career after eight ten years to get too much more upward mobility. I, I think I found the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I never had a strong desire to to become famous. Like I was never a big mm -hmm. tweeter myself. I right. I, I wasn't really obsessed with getting bylines, and yeah. that kind of made me question my own hunger, I guess, to to continue. Mm -hmm. So I switched into. I was an editor for about five or six years. So kind of mostly working behind the scenes, commissioning other people. Uh, right. And again, it was really fun. You know, you get to you get to cover new topics every day, learn lots of new stuff. But I didn't have anyone really investing in my future career. And you'd only ever cover stuff at a, at a surface level. So you kind of learn interesting tidbits for dinner party conversation. But yeah, in terms of getting to get really deep into something, I guess that that's where it was lacking a bit for me. 
Okay, so you you sort of saw a ceiling emerging. You wanted to to uh, take a different tack. What was it that brought you to the world of software? It was a fairly logical decision in some ways, maybe a little bit Machiavellian. You know, I was like, <laughs> going to make a career switch, mm-hmm. having been in an industry that's in de- that's well, I don't want to say in decline, but uh, struggling. Right. Where are there opportunities? Yeah, I guess I just had hunger to learn new things and. I think I'd always thought coding was cool and perhaps it was something that I'd I'd never really considered. You know, I did an arts degree at university. So I get, so I'd kind of ruled out anything like engineering as a path. Um, But then I just, I found myself talking to to developer friends and they were just like, no way you could, you could totally do it. Told me about the kind of boot camps that are out there um, to make the switch relatively easily. Yeah. I was just, I kind of just gave it a go and really enjoyed fiddling around. I guess, you know, that, that brings me to yeah, sort of like, I think what is a sort of deciding question for a lot of people, which is like, yeah, if you don't see yourself as an engineer, maybe if you never, you know, found that you had a, you know, affinity for the hard sciences or for math or anything like that, you know, when you were doing school, are you going to be able to handle this career or enjoy this career or excel in this career? So you sort of said you self-identified in a way that you thought you wouldn't, but friends encouraged you to try. What did you find? Yeah. Going into the boot camp. I mean, were you coming from a background where you particularly didn't like, you know, some of the hard sciences or just you weren't sure that that was something that you could do as a career? So I don't know if it's like a thing about the the English. So I'm, I'm based in the UK, but mm-hmm. the English education system kind of makes you specialize quite early on. Um, I did actually really mm-hmm. enjoy maths at school, but you basically have to choose four subjects at the age of 16 to carry on mm-hmm. studying. And right. then at 18, you have to choose your major or 17 mm-hmm. even compared to like, I know the American system, particularly with like liberal arts colleges, you you tend to get to do a much broader variety. Yeah. Yeah. They let us dawdle on forever. You (laughs) you get to do it all through high school and then you get to college and you do like one or two years and then you pick a major. And then a year after that, you decide you screwed up and you switch your major. So yeah, you you get lots of time. Yeah. So it's, it's not like that at all over here, but yeah, I did, I did enjoy maths, but I was always just quite good at reading and writing, I suppose. So Mm -hmm. that, that was the route that I took. And then I guess in lots of ways, I found my previous role as an editor quite transferable to the coding world. So um, just in terms of like how you structure an article or a podcast mm. to make podcasts as well. You know, how do you digest a huge amount of information and like take the bits that are crucial to telling that story? That in some ways was a bit transferable in terms of kind of, I guess, logical breaking down of, of problems right. and presenting that information right. in a cogent way. So the format, the flow, the syntax, those were things that sort of made sense to you and you had some experience in. Yeah. And then you just get like the pure satisfaction of solving a problem and <laughs> seeing a result on a page. So tell us a little bit about the boot camp you went through, sort of that journey. Um, yeah. And you know, what what you ended up, uh, I guess, specializing in when it comes to the work you do. So the boot camp was, it was called Makers Academy. I think it's, it's probably, I don't think it's in the States, but it's, it's pretty big in the UK. It's like a three month super intensive course. They just kind of throw you in the deep end. You start building projects from scratch, from the off. Mm. And yeah, it was kind of overwhelming initially. And I was like, what have I done? I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> but I guess there, the course's emphasis is on sort of teaching you to teach yourself, because I guess, you know, in a career as a developer, you're constantly going to be learning and 
new technologies, new languages evolving all the time. So they're instead of just teaching you like, here's how to build a website in React, that it's much more like, here are the fundamentals of software engineering and mm-hmm. go away and teach yourself how to build these things. Okay. So as you were teaching yourself, aside from Stack Overflow, what were some things that you were able to rely on? Um, were there like tips and tricks that friends had given you who were already in this line of work or did you just start Googling around and bouncing until you found something that, you know, sort of worked for you? Probably one of the best bits of advice I had was, which like developer friends have mentioned, but also they would talk about on the course was just like taking regular breaks and Mm. stepping away from something. Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, I think you mentioned banging one's head against the wall earlier. (laughs) Yes. Um, Certainly a common common theme which I experienced on the course and currently continue to experience now that I'm right. a developer. Yeah, it's interesting. I was I've been watching some sort of like developer focused YouTube channels, people who are becoming content creators, who are working as software developers, but are cultivating, you know, kind of a, a second, you know, career as online c- content creators. And one of the videos I see repeated and that gets a lot of play is like how many hours a day do you really write? code and how many hours a day should you be like sitting down and writing code and it seems like you know the the prevailing wisdom is kind of like people who tell you that they do it 8 12 hours a day are either lying or they're you know kind of the exception to the rule a lot of people feel good about having done 3 or 4 hours a day and a lot of the rest of the time they're researching or digesting a problem or doing something that's sort of like getting them towards a solution but not like actively you know typing commands typing characters onto a keyboard so i think that that maybe is a really interesting part of the the job, the idea of like giving yourself the time to allow the problem to sort of unwind in your mind and to, to you know, work towards a solution without like actively working. Yeah. I mean, the concept of like how long you spend working or doing your job, I think is a, is a fascinating one across industries and mm-hmm. one that like my husband and I talk about a lot because he's a freelancer and it's like, how do you quantify what you're getting paid for? And particularly, you know, since everyone's gone remote, what does it mean to be productive and how, how is all of that measured? I think it's super interesting. Yeah. I remember my days as a freelancer and, uh, that really sort of like is eye opening. you know, the amount of time that it takes to, to research and write an article and get edits and turn it around and finalize it and then see it published and then get paid as a freelancer can be very demoralizing because so much of the time is spent, you know, doing things that you aren't getting paid for essentially as a freelancer. Like your job is to deliver the article. There's a certain word count. Maybe you're getting paid by the word. That doesn't, you know, how many phone calls should you make, you know, to get that done? How many people, you know, should you reach out to? Do you think that, yeah, like this idea that anyone can do this, you know, your friends, like you said, who worked in this world, encourage you to do it. You didn't necessarily see yourself as an engineer, but you have. Do you think that that is a valid, I guess, I guess I get to a point where it's like, anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. Should anyone do this? Are there people for whom this is not a good career? Having gone through this recently yourself, and I, I hope found yourself liking your new career, would you say like, but if you were like this, I would, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, in my limited experience of the industry so far, I'd say I would say anyone can do it. I mean, yeah, you sort of just need to have the desire to do it. Really, I mean, there's always going to be banging your head against the wall moments, and I guess it's just whether or not you want to persevere with that. But you know, mm-hmm. in terms of like, were you good at maths at school? There were people on my course who were like hated school and didn't didn't go to university but you know coming at this a bit more mature and could totally do it and there are people who would say you know I was terrible I was terrible at maths um and they might have different challenges in terms of like 
how they approach problems, but I definitely think they probably they are at an at an advantage in terms of like the way that their brain thinks. So what do you do day to day? Um, what do you do at Contact? Maybe tell us first like what, what that company is all about and then yeah, what you do day to day. Yeah, so Contact is a startup that it's basically a platform for fashion models and anyone who wants to book a fashion model to book them. So it's yeah, leveraging technology to, to kind of disrupt the fashion industry, uh, which is very traditional in terms of generally small agencies, lots of handholding between agents and mm. models. And basically through, I guess, the technology, mo- models get to be paid more and have basically greater control over the jobs that they do and how they're booked. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's expanding to to cover different elements of the creative industries. So it's gone from just like two engineers last year to the six of us now, because um, basically we're we're introducing photographers as like the next mm. group of creatives that are joining the platform. So this is trying to cut out some of the the middlemen at the agency level and just say like you make yourself available, people need you for a job or they need a photographer for a shoot. And so it's a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace there. Exactly. Um, and I guess you have to sort of, yeah, you have to build that up to a point where like um, people know there's going to be quality talent and quality opportunities on there. Yeah. So we, we do still have quite a big operations team who work with the models and uh, will work in terms of curating the photographers that are on the site, but it kind of reduces right. the probably the boring workload that they right. would previously have to do. And so, yeah, what what's your job on this team of six? What role do you fill? So I'm the only junior engineer on the team, and mm-hmm. I'm basically a junior full stack engineer. So the back end's built on Ruby on Rails, um, mm-hmm. and the front end's React with TypeScript, and I mean, I'm basically doing a lot of learning. So this is my first job as an engineer. I'm about three months in. But yeah, it's really cool. I'm basically learning on the job, getting to do a whole variety of stuff. And so do you have like a mentor, mentee sort of thing with with seniors on the team? Or how does that work? So I'm in a sort of squad with two other engineers. And they're basically on hand to, to help. I do a lot of pairing with them when I get stuck. Um, but I guess kind of the the nice thing about being in a small team is I've sort of just got thrown into doing tickets fairly quickly. And then I just get to have a go at doing stuff and shout out for help when I get stuck, just fairly often. Right. <laughs> Braver than I though. What are, what are the things you enjoy most? What are the either languages and frameworks or like the kind of problems you like to work on? So I've mostly been doing front end stuff mm-hmm. and we have a like a let's say a really talented designer on the team who mm-hmm. you know produces these great designs in Figma and it's pretty fun just like turning those into code and then seeing them on the page. And yeah, again, I guess a benefit of being in a small team is just like seeing that code deployed really quickly. Yeah, pretty much from my first week I was kind of doing tickets and, and seeing it seeing it go live. I think just that sort of satisfaction, maybe it's like the journalist in me that, you know, likes to see like articles going up quickly, but yeah, just sort of seeing that immediate effect. Yeah. The immediacy of it and the, you know, seeing designs come to life and things be part of, you know, the, the UI UX that people actually get to touch. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you mentioned a, a recommendation earlier, which is like to take breaks. I thought that was great advice and kind of gelled with some of what I've been hearing from content creators. But for folks who are listening to the podcast, uh, you know, who may be software adjacent and are thinking about getting into this world 
Any other suggestions? I guess taking the leap, going to a boot camp, not being worried about your math scores from high school anymore, knowing that, yeah, I guess like, you know, part of, I guess, one of the things I would say, maybe that defines people who want to be a software developer, but don't is like being able to live with a certain amount of frustration and always, you know, that sort of working towards the reward, that payout for solving the problem. But what else would you say, like uh, for people who might be interested after hearing this, feel a little bit inspired, any other general advice on good pathways or on-ramps to this career? I mean, for I guess for people who have never tried out coding before, there's like kind of really good intro websites like Code Academy, just to teach you the basics. But also just YouTube has so many tutorials for, you know, if you actually want to just build something from scratch, you know, whether it's like a simple game, like a rock, paper, scissors game or some random simple app that you can send your friends to do like you can like just search that on youtube and there's just so much stuff on there which i think like that whole world was really opened up to me in the last year like i I just had no idea that just people giving these tutorials out i mean there's a lot of bad ones as well but (laughs) there's, (laughs) there's just so much out there So at the end of every episode, before we sign off, I read out the winner of a lifeboat badge. That is somebody who came on to Stack Overflow and found a question that had a score of negative three or less. And then they went on to receive a score of three or more with an answer score of 20 or more. You can get this badge multiple times. Awarded May 28th to Rami Amro Ahmed. What is the difference between Model Factory and a DB Seeder in Laravel? Okay, well, we've got the answer for you in the show notes. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can always email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, please do go onto your podcast platform of choice. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps. Anna, Bell, I will popcorn it over to you. Who are you? Where can you be found on the internet if you want to be found? And if people are interested in contact, where should they go to check it out? I'm Annabelle Bly. I'm on Twitter. My handle's at kubly. That's K-A-B-L-I-G-H. And check out Contact's website. It's contact.xyz or XYZ, as we say here. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey. And um, yeah, I'm glad it worked out for you and that you're enjoying this new career. (laughs) 